Good morning. Happy Easter. If you hear yelling and screaming, it's my biggest fan. She's out in the lobby uh, eating cookies right now. So, Yours are in the lobby too. Some of you want to know where their cookies are. So welcome. Happy Easter. I think this is the coldest Easter I've ever experienced. So there's got to be a record there somewhere. All right. Oh, that I am. Yeah, we probably want to shut those doors. <laughs> I love the enthusiasm. It's just a bit distracting at times. There we go. Oh, Grandma's bringing her in. That's true. Okay, good. Does anybody like to talk to Audrey? She'll be downstairs. Awesome. All righty, so let's, uh, let's come together in, uh, in 30 seconds of silence. I will sound our gong. invite you to just drop into, and what I'd invite you to do is just drop your awareness into your heart. Breathe into your heart, and as you breathe into your heart, think of something that you're grateful for, and then transform that thinking into feeling. So what are you grateful for today? Doesn't, have, doesn't matter what it is, big or small, and then transform that into a feeling. And so as I sound this gong, I invite you to just let that feeling tone of appreciation be your experience. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear for spirit. One spirit is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. So know with me today, I invite you to once again expand that feeling of gratitude. Because gratitude is the feeling tone of the divine of the infinite, of source, of principle. God, goddess energy is a principle. It is an energetic field, a coherent field of order, of love, of beauty, grace. And as we align with that, as we align with the, the light, 
Something shifts and changes within us. So I, I proclaim in the I am for each person here, and if you're willing to, to make this journey with me, beautiful. And if not, let my words wash over you and, 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 and dissolve away. But this is what I offer and know from the fullness of my heart of gratitude that there's one life, that life is perfect, that life is God, that life is source, that life is spirit, whatever name we give it, whatever tradition we come from, it says yes to us. It always responds to us because it loves us unconditionally. And so on this Christmas, or this Christmas, this Easter, (laughs) this Easter Sunday, I give thanks in the joy and celebration of the laughter and the lightness of being and knowing that the consciousness is truly what we're about. To stand in the, the, the benevolent presence of the Christed consciousness and the discussion that we have today, the celebration, the music, and the, 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 the stillness between the words become a sacred moment. And so I just give thanks. I know that every good thing required for each and every one of us to experience today to decide who we are, who we've come here to be, reveals itself here and now. And for this, I give thanks and invite you to say with me. And so it is. Beautiful. So I think what we'll do, I'm going to bring somebody up to read their cue card in a moment. And if you're not familiar with the cue card, it's, a, it's just simply a, a, a declaring who you've come here to be. But what I'd like you to do now is stand up, find somebody that's sitting close by and, and partner up with them, if you wouldn't, for a moment. We're going we're gonna to greet one another, say good morning. So I'll give you a chance to find somebody. There you go. It may may have to do a threesome. You never know. So I'd like you to say, Happy Easter. The Christ in me recognizes the Christ in you. We are going to have an amazing experience here today. And it wouldn't be the same without you. We are so blessed to be together. And even you can learn something today. Thank you. Awesome. And so it is. All righty. There we go. We're all set. I'm going to invite Tori Green to come up. Tori's one of our cue coaches in training. There's eight of us going through the training right now. And so we are modeling part of, this is part of our homework, and Tori's going to share her cue card with us today. So here you go, Tori. Okay. Oh, you got it on a lanyard. Look at you. They hang in a lamp in the corner of our living room. Oh, sweet. Yes. Sweet, sweet. Please forgive me when I show up. Um, This is not who I am, when I show up alone, invisible, unsafe, in lack, less than, and insufficient. For this is who I have come here to be, a leader of change, compassionate, curious, courageous, committed, open-hearted, and authentic. Mm, and so it is. Thank you, Tori. Yep. All right. So here we are, Easter. And how do we do Easter as metaphysicians? We're a metaphysical community, so we interpret Scripture metaphorically and metaphysically. So there's a meaning upon the words. And so this beautiful experience, there he is. That's the picture of Jesus that uh, Yogananda, Paramahansa Yogananda, had um, uh, commissioned when he spent his time, when Jesus and he had an experience when he was writing. 
And so I love that. It's my favorite picture of uh, the image of this icon of Jesus of Nazareth. He wasn't, um, he wasn't called uh, the Christ until the fourth century. In fact, there was, they didn't even talk about the virgin birth till the ninth century if we study history, but that's neither here nor there. But of course, um, that has become sort of an agreed um, narrative of his. But, but the story of, of uh, Jesus uh, was one of the things that inspired Dr. Ernest Holmes, our founder. He felt it was the most important thing that ever happened. And if we notice this, it's, it's quite interesting because Jesus descends directly from the kingdom of heaven, as the legend goes, as the story goes, which seems kind of odd. He descends from enlightenment of, of the heavenly state to the human state. And it signifies that spirit, rather than trying to escape the duality of this life, because most people live in separation, and separation is that we believe there's something other than God. There's God and there's, there's this, but it's, it's all, at the, at the metaphysical, energetic level, it's all spirit, it's all God. So in this dualistic world that we fall asleep in, what's happening is this, this icon, this idea, is giving itself to the world, to bring forth the light of radiance, into the world and reveal that nothing is separate from divinity. Nothing is actually alive or, or present other than the divine itself. So Jesus' story of death and resurrection then is a story of new orientation, if we look at it in terms of meaning and significance and how it relates to us personally. And when the self has been annihilated and drops away, which is the metaphor of the, the death on the cross, the self has been annihilated, falls away, we witness a resurrection. We realize a new orientation. In other words, we are no longer the center of our own individual lives. And life is no longer about satisfying oneself, not even to arrive at some spiritual state of development. So the self-oriented life is over, is the deeper meaning of what happens with the death of the personality, of the person, the icon of Jesus of Nazareth, the great teacher, and something else has given birth. The Gospel of Mark was the first gospel written. And at the end of the Gospel of Mark, he describes the, the uh, Mary and Mary Magdalene and Simone go to the tomb. And they're on the way, they're discussing how we're going to roll back the, the stone on the tomb. Because it's very large and very heavy. And they're going to anoint the body of Jesus. And they get there, and the stone's already rolled back. And so they go inside the tomb, and there sits this no body, but there's a young man all in white. And he says to them, they said, we're here to anoint the body. And he says, well, the body's no longer here. But he will meet you in Galilee as he told you he would. So Mark leaves it very, very sort of unresolved because we don't know who the young man in white is, what presence that is. And I would say metaphysically, we're talking about um, a, a heavenly idea, a high idea to say. But it's all very ambiguous to allow us to make up our own story about it. But what happens is this young man, as they describe it in, the, in Scripture, he's, he's very peaceful, he's very poised. He's just very grounded. And he said, it's, all is well. And what you've been told will happen is, is happening. So the Gospel, Mark, is what, re, what, what, what the idea is is quite simple, but it's also quite, quite poignant. From that place, the only thing left to do is to be as this young man models in the tomb a benevolent presence in the world. 
And so when we, the message for us is that when we put down more and more of our, our needs and our rushing and, 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 and acquiring and judging and all of the things that go on with this, this realm, as we become more and more grounded in the truth of our being, given birth to the Christ, we can become more and more the benevolent presence in the world. And so it's a beautiful, beautiful story. So what happens is our story of separation falls away and there's no, there's no life orientation that makes sense other than to be a selfless and benevolent presence, to be unconditionally loving. And this may happen on a big stage or it may just mean being a benevolent. For, for you and I, how do we do this? Because the story of Jesus is quite, he's quite charismatic. It's quite dramatic. It's this big, it's this day we celebrate. This whole tradition is based on death and rebirth and he ascended to heaven. And many people interpret that literally. I don't even know if it really happened, but it's such a beautiful story. If it didn't happen, it, it doesn't mean it isn't true. But it is the putting down of the smallness of ourselves and our needs and wants and to becoming that clean, hollow vessel of expression on the planet. So it may happen on a big stage. or much to, It may just mean being a benevolent grandmother or grandfather or mother or daughter or son or business owner. That's how we give traction to it in our lives. And it doesn't have to look a certain way. In fact, the resurrected state can look quite normal. So it doesn't have to be a, the, the world, all of a sudden we start a new movement for ourselves. It's just who we decide to be. I get up and read my cue card. When we read our cue card, we're giving it intention. So when, I, when we look at the story of Jesus, we get the impression that the spiritually awakened state always looks impressive and charismatic, but that's just good storytelling. Mark was a great storyteller. And there's metaphor there, and there's things that we don't understand, so it leaves it unresolved. What's going to happen next? You know, they, it sets it up for the next season, right? A possibility. But it gets us thinking. So the resurrection within oneself is sometimes far quieter when the old structure of knowing is dissolved and there is a temporary sense of living in the ashes, living among the dead. So what happens for all of us when we're going through spiritual transformation, there's periods where it feels like, where am I going and what am I doing? Because the map that I've used up to this point doesn't inform me anymore. That's fallen away. That's what tra- so transformation involves some discomfort. Make discomfort your friend on the spiritual journey. It's okay. The new orientation isn't immediately or intuitively recognized. So as children, here's, here's another little granddaughter over here. It's their mom and dad. So glad they're here Sunday, Easter Sunday. And, um, but what happens, so as, as children, we have a capacity to walk. We're born with an inherent capacity to get up and walk eventually. And what happens for us is when we start to do that, we stand up. Eventually we stand up and we, we teeter-totter around and wobble. And then we take a step and we fall. And then what happens is we typically get back up and we take another step and fall. And it's a wonderful metaphor for this whole idea of living from that Christed consciousness. So, so Dr. Holmes said this. I've got a beautiful slide here about Dr. Holmes said about our founder. He said, Jesus was not the great exception. He was the great example. And as the human gives way to the divine in all people, they become the Christ. So the Christ is an opportunity for all of us to embody more and more of that benevolent presence, that unconditional love. But what happens for us, what needs to, is required is we have to embody that for ourselves. We must become that. So does anybody here have anything they feel like they need forgiveness for? This is awesome. Nobody. We can go home. <laughs> but the beautiful thing about this journey is we get a do-over. 
When we, when we do something and we're, we're unhappy with it, we get a do-over. It's not the end of the world. This is how we learn. Oh, I can do this differently. I can do it better. When I'm on my cue card and I go off my cue card, I get to go back on my cue card. I get a do-over. And this beautiful, loving presence says, come on home. Come on back. So the, the Christ is the awakening of the divine in humanity. It is the healing of the illusion of separation and the idea that you and I are not connected, that life isn't all... There's a, that we're not all interconnected. But that's the illusion that many people will tell us and live. Dr. Holmes says, for Christ to be found in us is to put off the old man with all of his mistakes and doubts and put on the new man who is always certain he is beloved of the Father. We forget how loved we are. So in, in Ephesians, I'm getting all scripture based on you today, but Ephesians, which is one of the letters that they think Paul wrote, but they're now they're disputing whether Paul wrote it or not. He said, God wants us to grow up. God wants us to grow up, to know the whole truth and tell it in love. To know the whole truth and tell it in love. The whole truth is our, our light, our darkness, our heartbreak, our mistakes, our joys and celebration. That's it. And to stand in all of it. See, I don't think it is about this. Our teaching for many, many years was about manifestation. Well, say, set an intention and demonstrate something. And I think that's the on-ramping. It's a necessary part of our evolution as a movement. I think we're here to heal the world. I think we're here to heal the world. And when we're doing our own healing work, we are doing that. When we're doing our own transformation and catching ourselves sooner rather than later because it's time for us to grow up and to wake up. And to know the whole truth and tell it in love. As it says in Ephesians, it continues. Like Christ in everything. We take our lead from Christ, who is the source of everything we do. Which is that divine presence that already... See, and it's not something we acquire. It's already alive in us. It's already alive in us. We come from the source. We don't, have any, it's a, we don't take a, a weekend course and acquire Christ consciousness. We reveal it. We reveal it. So, next slide. Transformation must be Intentional. If you don't set an intention to do it, it ain't going to happen. It doesn't happen by accident. It requires effort and time and commitment and devotion. You're not going to get there. It must be intentional. We must choose the area of our growth. So this year, if you were here, at the beginning of the year, we gave everybody a white tile with a, and we picked a word. What word did Spirit give you this year? What word? My word was Order. And so order informs me. So, you know, Laura and I are going to take a little break here for a week or so, and we're going to bring more order into our lives, go through books that we don't read or give them away. We've got a garage sale coming. I thought, perfect, I'll bring them to the garage sale. But, but order, it's bit by bit. And create a growth environment for ourselves. Do you have a growth environment for yourself? This is part of it. When we come and we share these ideas, we share the consciousness in Ephesians, it says this. So well, let's talk about this growth environment. In Genesis, it says this. It's not good for man to be alone. This goes way back in the Old Testament. We are designed to be together. We're designed to be together. You know that the, the, the Israelites, when they're wandering the desert, thousands of them wandering the desert, you know what they did? They take a thousand. They say, okay, we're going to bust it up into groups of a hundred. And then the groups of a hundred, we're going to divide into groups of ten. And each group of 10 will have a host, will have a leader to take care of you, to know what your needs and wants are. If you're hungry, we're going to make sure we get you fed. If you need something, we're going to come together and support you in your own journey, in your own transformation. So Jesus comes along. He comes from the Jewish tradition. He was, a, he was considered a rabbi. 
He, did, he wasn't there to, to, to introduce Christianity. He was there to, he wanted to shift and alter the Jewish tradition because he was a Jew. But what does he do? He's got his disciples and one day after a while, because what he did is he took time. See, he took time. He on-ramped them. He did orientation. They didn't know it, but that's what he was doing. And he looked out and he, he found 12 individuals in that group of disciples that he thought demonstrated spiritual gifts that would help people transform and move forward. They became the apostles. He didn't do it right away because he had to identify, see the role of leadership is identify spiritual gifts and assign ministries accordingly. Everybody can lead, but everybody leads differently. So Jesus knew this. So what, we, what has come into our community as part of this, this uh, cultural shift that we're going through are these, the five spiritual disciplines that are involved with our spirit groups. So when we talk about spirit groups, our goal, our vision for this is that everyone that is connected to our community as a member has an opportunity to step into a spirit group. So I'll tell you what the five, the, the five disciplines I have up there, I'm going to talk about them real briefly. One is communion. Group members grow through personal reflection, prayer, or meditation. Communion means in unity with, commune with. We are designed to be together. We're supposed to be together. The other thing I know about this is this divine presence, this love, beauty, joy, power, creativity, infinite possibility doesn't need us. Spirit doesn't need us at all. The divine doesn't need us. The divine wants us. The divine wants us. There is no more rich and beautiful experience for this presence than the fullness of your heart in unity with it. That is its joy. Everything I've read, and I've read every tradition and every, that is its joy. The beloved, it's an infinite lover. And we see it modeled some, a bit in our own personal lives with our love of family and friends and, and all that goes on. But at the end of the day, it's always there waiting. All of the wonderful stories in scripture, the prodigal son, the father with the arms on, so welcome home. And the son coming back down the road broken and broke, dirty, hungry, rode hard and put away wet. Welcome home, I love you. So it, is, it just loves being in this relationship in the unified field. But do you get that? Do you get up and go, oh my God, I'm so loved. I'm so loved. And if something gets triggered in you, some reason for you not to be loved, you get to say, wait a minute, I get to do over. I'm the prodigal daughter, I'm the prodigal son. Do- Dr. Bishop Spong talked in this idea of prayer. I love uh, Bishop Spong. He's written a, wonder, a number of wonderful books. If you've read some of them, good for you. But he's a, um, I th- believe, Episcopalian. Um, he, was a, he was excommunicated by the church, as a matter of fact. So he's right there in my corner now. He's one of my heroes, you know. All the great teachers get excommunicated. Anyway, he tells the story of his wife being diagnosed with cancer. And the doctor said, your wife will live two years. And so being a public figure, it was very hard for him to hide this. It, it became part of his persona, and he was well-known. He's a well-known uh, figure in the New Jersey area in uh, uh, eastern United States. And so groups of people started praying for her. And so after about three years, she was still going. And what he watched with people was the groups who were pay- praying for her started to take credit for her not dying. Oh, I'm praying for her. And see... This isn't how this works. 
He said, I refuse to believe in a God that would do that. He said, because I know a garbage man in my neighborhood whose wife has the same diagnosis with the same condition. He said, I refuse to believe in a God that would favor me because I'm a bishop and I have all these people praying for me and this man's wife is just gonna die in a very short period of time. He said, that's not the God I know. Now, I'll tell you what happens what we, when, we, when we come together in prayer. We create the conditions of a shift and change. We're not the healers. We become the portal of the doorway. But what it requires for us, once again, is to get the hell out of the way so that something greater and grander can come through us. We don't control it. We allow it. We reveal it. That requires grace and beauty and love and welcome. So it's not without result but to think that because we're praying for somebody, we're the, we are the healer, or we're facilitating a shift, is, is, is way beyond the scope of our potentiality. We can be available to it and open to it. That's why we release the prayer as a practitioner. So it's a very subtle change, but it's so easy for the ego to get involved and say, oh, well, you know, the bishop's wife, she lived six more years, six and a half more years. But he said this, he said, that he said, I don't even use the word prayer anymore. He said, I use the word meditation or contemplation. And prayer time, and I love this, is sitting or standing self-consciously in the transcendent reality we call God. I'll repeat that. In the self, the standing or sitting in the self-conscious, consciously in the transcendent reality we call God. As he says, getting in touch with it. Letting it fill your life so you can begin to operate out of it. It becomes who we are practicing and revealing our Christ capacity. So connection. Connection. Group members cultivate fun and fulfilling relationships with each other. Group gatherings contribute to the development of meaningful relationships to gather together and celebrate the divine in you. So we get together. We're encouraging our groups to get together. Bring your cue card if you have one. Share your cue card. And there's, it's simple. It's fun. We just finished our pilot group. We had so much fun. We just sat in here and played a board game for our last gathering. We did our service. In fact, uh, Carrie um, McCaskill's coming. We're going to give her the box of, the, of uh, bags we made up for the homeless teens. We have 45 bags we made up. And it's just a beautiful thing to, for us to come together in that celebration. And everybody, everybody knows one another better. And there's a love and a connection, and it's ongoing. I'm watching Kate. Kate was in the, my pilot group with me. Oh, Kate's nodding away there. She knows. There's a, there's a, there's a connection, and it's such a great example of why, why being together is important, because otherwise we make stuff up. Do you ever make stuff up? Yeah. Compassion. All members proactively seek to support and care for each other in times of joy and times of challenge. This is one of the beautiful things about, you know, it's heartbreaking to be in my role and find out someone left, something happened in someone's life and they didn't feel like they were getting the support and it typically lands in my, in my inbox that, that they, they needed. And many times I don't even know. And so it's one way for us to care for one another. It's one of the reasons why most faith-based communities in, in, the, in the West are all about between 45 and 75 people. Because beyond that, one minister cannot minister beyond that, beyond the capacity. And that's why we create ministries in these small groups. It's so potent and powerful. And it's life's transforming. You find the right people to be in. Compassion. All members proactively seek to support and care for each other in times of joy, times of challenge. A heart connection is where the juice is. Community. 
Groups enrich the community by choosing to serve together in a way that benefits the local, regional, national, or global community. So we talked about it. Mustard seed. It's one of the activities he's been doing for years. Season for nonviolence. There's Glenice came in late. There's Glenice right over there. Beautiful Glenice. And her, her project that she latched onto Seasons for Nonviolence reached out to those grammar schools and, and, and youth to create art in support of nonviolence. But it's a wonderful way because the highest form of spiritual practice is service. And then challenge. Members proactively apply what they are learning through their groups gathering. Members encourage each other to set goals, share their intentions for growth. The group provides non-judgmental accountability support to help each other progress in these next intentions. What's my next level of growing? It's ongoing. What's my next level of growing? What's the opportunity here? And, and, and it's a beautiful way for us to let people know who we are. We're not a bunch of wackos in here reading tarot cards and, and reciting our astrological charts to one another and then um, killing chickens the third Sunday of each month. It's good, good people that care and want to evolve spiritually. And service is such an important part of that. So I want to talk to you about another law today real quickly, the law of consistency. The law of consistency. So consistency is not exciting. You know, when you go up to somebody and say, what do you like about me? What do you, what's, what's your favorite quality about me? Uh, consistency. <laughs> oh, thanks. But I'll tell you what, let me tell you something about consistency. Motivation gets us going, right? Start of the year, man, we, a New Year's resolution. You know how long it takes somebody to forget completely their New Year's resolution? Because they've studied it. 17 days. In 17 days, you won't even remember you made a New Year's resolution. Anybody been there? Yeah. Motivation will get us going. Discipline keeps us going. Consistency is not an exciting quality, but it is the most important. So how do we create consistency? Part of it is connecting with one another and, consistent, and saying, you know, I'm there for you. I got your back. I got people I'm praying for all over the place, and I, I, send them, I, I, I text them and say, I got your back. I, Steve Sandy was my partner for the Q process this last time. We partner people. And, and every day we'd say, did you get your Q done? It was great because there were days when you get busy, you forget. I say, hey, I, I made a commitment to this guy. I want him to succeed. I want to succeed. It's just simple things. Why not build that, that environment of transformation? So the rule of five. Let me talk to you about the rule of five real quick. The rule of five is this. So if you've got a tree in the backyard, anybody ever had a tree in the backyard you're going to cut down? Okay, Sue has. Thank you. So this is how this works. So a lot of us will go out there and we're going to cut that tree down, right? We get the ax sharp and we get out there and we just start whacking away and whacking away. And before you know it, um, if you're anything like me, after about 100, 200 swings, you're done for the day, right? In fact, I'm probably not going to want to see that tree ever again. So I may not go back out there. But if you go out every day and you hit that tree five times, just five swings a day, five swings a day, every day, eventually, what's going to happen? Yeah, tree's going to come down. Now, it may take you a year. It might take you two years. It might take you 10 years, depending on how big the tree is, how sharp the ax is, and how strong you are. But I'm guaranteeing you that most of us think, man, I'm going to go get her. I'm going to chop that tree down today. We, always, we, we overestimate what we can do in one day, and we underestimate what we can do in many days. So you're better off doing a little bit every day than a lot one day. A little bit every day. How can you practice being a benevolent presence in the world today?
with someone. You could do it at fellowship here. You met somebody. You said to them, hey, there's information here that's going to be important for you. Even you can learn this. Turn over to the friend you greeted this morning and, and poke him in the shoulder and say, even you can learn this. There you go. Absolutely. It's possible. Even I can learn it. The resurrection of the self creates a, a, a great heartfulness, a great sense of compassion for the world, a simple, profound sense of intimacy with all things and with all beings. That's where the Christ shows up. We have our, our five disciplines, communion, connection, compassion, community, challenge. Our intimacy with life is a resurrected state. A great Zen master once said, my true personality involves the entire universe. Jesus said, I am in the world, but not of it. We're all in the world, but many of us are stuck in the world. The best description of the resurrection is to have absolute intimacy with the world of time and space and things and people and events, but not to be of the world. You and I are the world of eternity in the kingdom of heaven. What five little things can you do today? And when we come back, when I'm back up here, I'll be back up in two weeks. Got a little break. Our, t- our youth is going to be here next uh, week doing the service. I'm really excited. But I'm going to talk to you about the five things that I think are crucial to that. And the first one being God time each day. God time each day. What is spirit calling me to be this day? What's alive within me? What's my opportunity this day? What is, what is challenging me? What is restricting me? I mean, that's why we've come. We've come, and when we celebrate, when we open, when we transform, the infinite who loves us absolutely and unconditionally says, oh my God, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy for you. You go. You go, girl. You go, boy. Our capacity to love the world, to love one another, it starts in all those simple little things. It's a beautiful thing. So thank you for being who you are. We wouldn't want you any other way. Your journey is your journey. My teacher used to say over and over again, you could come no other way. So I'm going to invite the, the, the um, spirit group leaders that are here right now. I know Darren is one. He's doing a men's group, and he lives down south of Beaumont. For those of you that like to drive to Beaumont and go see Darren. And Lil's here. Come on, Lil. Come on up and... and uh, and Kate's starting a group. Kate, Kate Haggerty, Mark and um, Melanie are doing a couples group, Sue Edwards. So these are some of our initiators of our spirit group right now. And so it's part of our, you know, this is kind of how this happens. It's self-regulating. And these people have stepped up to love you and themselves along the journey, transforming lives, inspiring people to make a positive difference in the world. So thank you all for being who you are and your willingness to step up and serve. And Karen, too, and Karen Tanner. Yes, awesome. Yes, so let's give them a hand. Beautiful. Thank you. Happy Easter. All right, and so it is.